De la patrulla de Minos de California. Weather headlines for today, yes. Welcome to the Revenue Generator Podcast, an I Hear Everything production. In this podcast, you'll hear how industry leaders integrate sales, marketing, product, and customer success into a single business unit with a common goal of optimizing their revenue cycle. We'll unearth how innovators integrate data, technology, people, and processes to expedite demand generation and increase recurring revenue. Sit back, tune in, and get ready to meet a member of the Revenue Generation. Here's the host of the Revenue Generator podcast, the CMO of Lean Data, Doug Bell. Welcome to the Revenue Generator podcast, where we members of the Revenue Generation share solutions for how you can integrate your business to optimize revenue. I'm your host and the CMO of Lean Data, Doug Bell. And today we're going to be talking about how to scale marketing operations successfully. Joining us is Andrew Davies, who is the Chief Marketing Officer at Paddle, which is the complete payments tax and subscription solution for SaaS. So far this week, Andrew and I have talked about scaling marketing teams the right way. And today we're going to wrap up our conversation by talking about the importance of strategic narrative. Okay, here's my conversation with Andrew Davies, the Chief Marketing Officer at Paddle. Andrew, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, Doug. Thanks for having me back. It's good to have you back. I think this is a topic that in many ways perfectly bookends our conversation yesterday. And what I mean by that is this, as marketing leaders, as revenue leaders, our job at the end of the day is to produce bottom line. And getting to bottom line can sometimes be a challenge if you're overly focused on the bottom of the funnel. In other words, if you're not telling a great story. And I think that's what we want to dig into today is to understand the importance of telling a great story. And as you said, uh, when we were preparing, taking somebody, a prospect on a journey. So where do you start with this? I think the first place to start is to uncover who is that master storyteller within the organization and to recognize that really, hopefully the CEO is going to be the champion of that customer story, the custodian of that company story. You know, Bill Gurley says the great storytellers have an unfair competitive advantage. He talks about how they're going to recruit breath better, they're going to have better press coverage, raise more money, close more business, have better exits. I know there's that phrase, I think it's from Ben Horowitz, which is the company story is the company strategy. So yeah, I see this as something that you've got to start with, you know, Ideally, the CEO or founder has got something they really care about. And the story for me is about wanting to take people on a journey from where you are now and where they are now to a place that's an ideal future. And so it has a structure, it has a beginning, it has an end, it has some chapters you walk through. And that sense of flow and direction is vital because then you can dig into the framework and you can talk about why you're talking about this chapter or that chapter, why you're moving people from one stage to the next. So it gives a framework to all of your marketing, your messaging, your communication. So, and I think we've all been here, right? We've picked up that new company. It's interesting. It's growing. You go to unlock its messaging, its brand narrative, and it's a messaging doc with a bunch of positioning stuff in it. And it's technical, it's dry, it's difficult. But we're painting this picture of a bigger, broader story, something that excites, something that gets people really thinking about your brand. But you're here. Right. We've got this sort of cruddy stuff. It's very technical. Where do you start, folks, when it's really clear that that strategic narrative is lacking? Where do you recommend people start and how do they start? This is a topic that's getting increased 
you know, coverage. People are, are becoming experts and consultants in it. And one of the benefits of that is I think there are a few frameworks that you can point to that people can start building their own strategic narrative with. And so when I think about this, I think about you know things like the hero's journey. I think about the challenger sale. I think about some of corporate visions work, Tim Ristra's work. I think about you know Andy Raskin and his kind of sell the change methodology. Those are all good frameworks, good scaffolds. And what they do is you it, it forces the executive team to think again along a formula or a framework and pad out the bits in the story that they don't yet have. So they might well have some market insights. They might well have a good value proposition, but they don't have the other bits of that journey that it's essential to take somebody on. So for me, the first step is to go and look at the examples of great company narratives, great company stories. And any one of those frameworks has got some really good examples that you can quickly go and look at and and stress test your company story against. I think we can all think of some of the bigger stories and some of the more notorious are Apple, right? We've got great stories around organizations like eBay and the infamous Pez dispenser. But if you don't have that, if you're not starting with that lore and that legend, we're talking about is really at the end of the day, we're talking about kind of backing into that lore and the legend. And and the scenario that I've run into, and I'm curious if you've seen this before as well, is that everybody recognizes there's a need for that narrative, yet the company lacks that guiding light, that long-term vision. Is that something that's covered during the creation of the strategic narrative, or do you have another project in your hands in terms of establishing what that company's, say, three, five, or 10-year vision looks like? I think it often is covered within that project. And if we think about, let's let's take Andy Raskin, who I think does a great job of talking about kind of the, the selling of the change you see in the world, the undeniable shift. And that undeniable shift is something that has to be recognized by everybody. It's something that's going from night to day. It's something that kind of creates winners and losers. And so when you start laying up that as the the, the formula for you coming up with the undeniable shift that sets the stage for your story, it forces you to think about the long term. It forces you to think about the North Star. So I think in any of these narratives, that's that's a piece of it that's inbuilt. And when are you throwing up red flags when you feel like that strategic narrative is off the rails? And the scenario in my head is, Groupthink, an executive team who gets along well enough that, you know, at the end of the day, there isn't that antagonist in the middle of the room. And by the way, everybody's compromising and you end up on that flat kind of vanilla, not interesting messaging. Do you feel like the strategic frameworks you've mentioned guard against that? Or do you feel like there's a group issue there that you have to think about as well? No, wholeheartedly. So if we think through if we think through those kind of places where this falls down, the groupthink piece is is a really, you know, regularly occurring one. I think another one is the kind of the stakes, like, is there any consequence of telling, of winning or losing in this story? Uh, I think that's another one that really comes through when you have very vanilla stories. There just aren't any, there's no jeopardy. There's no stakes that people are trying to avoid or achieve. So I think those would be two, two things that we have to challenge ourselves to get past. I think one of the others is for me, I, I love the challenger sale, the challenger story. That's one I've used multiple times. It's one we use at Paddle right now. And I don't see that as a sales methodology. I see that as something that can set a narrative framework for the entire business. Because you think about you know, what you're trying, the journey you're trying to take someone on. There's a warmer, there's a reframe, there's some rational drowning, I think they say, you know, emotional impact, value prop, and a solution, an ideal state. And for me, 
the reframe is the really key part of that journey because that's something that marketing and sales should be working on together. And the reframe is when you are not trying to tell someone their problems or their solution or your solution, you're trying to get them to buy into your view of the world. And in any good story and any good company narrative, that's the key moment. And that's the point where you're rather than selling someone on a product or a solution, you're selling them on a philosophy or a way of thinking. And if they buy into your way of thinking, then you know, actually the sales journey, the communication journey from that moment onwards becomes much you know, lower friction. And so again, that's one of those other pieces where you know, avoiding groupthink, getting outside inputs, getting customer actual, you know, customer intelligence, customer voice on that is a good way of uncovering what that reframe is, that mirror that people look in and say, ah, not just that things could be different, but if I look at the problem this way, then there's some obvious solutions. I feel like there's that gut instinct as well that tells you as you're approaching this new job, you feel like, hey, we're lacking that bigger, better story, which, by the way, is going to result in much poorer results at the bottom of the funnel. So let's tell that story. I feel like quite often understanding whether or not to bring in outside help is half the battle. Are there kind of indicators that will let folks know, hey, this is actually too sticky? As an example, you know, the, it's the, you've got the founder cohort. I think we've had this experience before, and they've been doing things for 20 years. And it's been successful for them, but kind of breaking them out. That typically for me is an example of strong kind of culture of the founders, but also can create some conservatism as being an indicator that we need to bring in outside help. Are there other examples maybe you can bring? We talk about group think where you would be like, you know what, don't do this in-house, find outside help. Yeah, I will always love to try this in-house first. A key indicator that that's not working and that we need to go and get some outside help is is also a level of confidence and consistency from the team. So one of the first things I did when I joined Paddle was I went into Gong and I started listening to all the call recordings of how the sales reps pitched what we were doing. And you know, we used they were using these these phrases like we talk about ourselves this way, so let me explain what that actually means. Our marketing team have come up with this way of branding ourselves. So can I tell you what that means for your day job? And you know, that that was just it was showing no confidence and no clarity. And so for me, that was a big warning sign that we hadn't yet got it right. And we needed to go deeper, we needed to get other inputs, we needed to get other people to look at this problem so that we could solve it. And the output of that solving, the leading indicator before we ever saw anything in other metrics, was confidence and consistency across our field teams. Yeah, you know, we're cringeworthy moment here, I think, uh, is the best way to put it. That must have been uh, hair-raising to listen in on those calls and to hear people explaining away, you know, poor positioning or not having confidence in that positioning. And when is it, let's go the opposite way. When is it fine? When is it just fine? In other words, it's not bad. You know what? The messaging's good. I'm doing really well in my niche. When is it okay to just leave it alone? Or is it never okay to leave it alone? I think this is one of those ongoing journeys that you always want to be questioning and tweaking, thinking about it in a cadence, maybe quarterly or six monthly. I do think there are some situations where you don't want to bother touching it. One thing is, what are the aspirations of this business? If there's not an outsized aspiration for growth and for market dominance or for market capture, then there's no point putting all of this effort into a story that can go and create that audience and that reframe and that 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 sense of, sort of motion. So that would be one example. Another example would be when all of those metrics through the funnel are working well. They're working well enough. Maybe the product is differentiated enough or the brand is telling a good enough story that you just don't need to go and mess with this. And another thing is, which is often a challenge with early stage companies who start thinking about this, they just don't have the customer insight to be able to do that work yet. And so I remember with the startup that we built, the, fir the, the first SaaS company I was a, a co-founder of, 
we tried this ourselves probably eight or nine times before we actually landed on the customer insight that led us to be able to get external help and build a company story that then helped us scale, grow, and exit. And doing it ourselves early on was really helpful, but it really didn't get us anywhere. And actually, one of the things we did that, that you know, it sounds painful as a, as, a, as a founder and as a exec thinking about this, but one of the things we did is we chose an external party we really trusted to do it. And dropping what was a very large amount of money for us at that stage on that external party, all also disciplined us to not go tweak it for 30 days, 90 days, because we paid so much for it. We wanted to go and properly stress test it and get input on it. And that was a really important part of that discipline. Because I think if we'd come up with it ourselves, we'd have been constantly you know, picking away at it and changing it. And this allowed us a bit of time to understand that it really now was resonating and we could scale with it. And what about the cascade of stuff that we know follows? And what I mean by that is, let's say that we do a great job. We bring it an outside firm, we don't but we land on a strategic narrative that we test and we realize is working really well. We put five AEs in the street. We're asking them to push just this narrative. It works. It gets better conversations, creates more excitement of the prospects, whatever you're doing to test it. And so here's the downside. It works. And there's this cascade of other things that have to happen. So as an example, I've got to rethink my messaging now, right? I got that strategic narrative. Brand identity. Hmm. Interesting. Does that line up? Does that line up with that narrative that I have? Am I supporting my AEs appropriately? Do I have the right materials? Do I have the right content? So, and I'm not trying to scare anybody, I promise, but how are you advising folks to kind of think about what comes next? Because the narrative, if it's great, is just the beginning. I think all of those downstream effects, you know, can get justified and invested in based on the confidence that comes from that initial landing. And so that initial landing, I find is often easiest as a sales deck something that could be tweaked and tested in market by multiple different people in multiple different contexts. So focus on the sales deck first. Don't build the new websites. Don't build the new video structure. Don't build the new messaging matrix. The sales deck, your 10 slides, your 15 slides, is that telling the story you want to? And then you pull the confidence in the org to go and tweak everything else to line up with it. And yeah, there are loads of downstream impacts. I think about, about you know what we've been through here, which is starting to tag all of our content against the stage in, in the challenger sale. You know, which are the bits of content that actually help with that reframe versus help with the rational drowning? And those can be really helpful when it, you get into a sales enablement environment where you want to suggest the right asset for sales stages. So there's a huge amount of downstream work that's created once you land on it. But hopefully, everybody is has a much higher degree of confidence in doing that work because you've already stress tested it in market. Talk to me about benefits. Why would I turn this over? Why would I go through this pain? Why would I bring in a firm? Why would I convince my CEO and my board to actually have a strategic narrative? Bottom line, why would we tackle this? So in a world of data and content overload, of pitch overload, of inboxes that are full, stories stick. And if you can get your story to stick, it allows everything else to flow a bit more easily. Secondly, in an account-based world where you're trying to build buying groups, stories are transferable. And so if, if, a, rep gets off, if a rep gets off a call and that prospect has to go back to its, his or her org and talk about what they learned on this demo call or discovery call, if there's an underlying narrative that sticks, that becomes so much easier for them to help you build that buying group. And in a world of change and confusion, you know, stories give meaning and people are, are, are looking for meaning. And so I think those are really three key psychological reasons why, why stories are vital to us doing effective marketing. And I have to say, I feel like the average person on the street can tell you about the benefit of those great stories because what sticks for folks are those great brand stories. And, and in many ways, they can't even tell you what the tagline is, but they can tell you those great stories. Great advice for the audience today, Andrew. Really appreciate you joining us. Thank you so much.
Okay, that wraps up this episode of the Revenue Generator Podcast. Thanks to Andrew Davies, Chief Marketing Officer at Paddle, for joining us today. If you would like to contact Andrew or learn more about him, you can find a link to his LinkedIn profile or show notes, or you can contact him on Twitter, where his handle is A-N-D-J Davies, or visit his company website at paddle.com. Just one link in our show notes I want to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while listening to this podcast, head over to revgenpod.com, where we have summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for our guests. You can subscribe to our weekly newsletter, apply to be a speaker on the Revenue Generator podcast, or you can even share your revenue generation questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is at RevGenPod on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, or you can contact me directly. My handle is MarketAdvocate. If you haven't subscribed yet and want a daily stream of RevGen strategies in your podcast feed, we're going to publish an episode every day during the work week. So hit that subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed the next business day. Okay, that wraps it up for today. But until next time, keep cranking because the revenue isn't going to generate itself. 